We are in week four of the Upside Down Kingdom, this series on the Gospel of Mark. And boy, doesn't the world feel like it's been turned and flipped upside down. The greatest institutions across this world are, are we're seeing the limitations of all our technology, all our know-how, all our strength, all our power. But one truth remains, and that is God's kingdom, though upside down it is, though different from everything else in this world, God's kingdom will never fail. God's kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. Nations may rise and fall, but God's kingdom lasts forever. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the upside-down nature of greatness, that greatness in God's kingdom, you want to be great, you got to be least. You want to be first, you've got to be last. Last week, we looked at the upside-down nature of goodness. The good life was not when you foremost try to please God with your good behavior. That's what the Pharisees were doing. No, the good life is when you foremost trust God and not your moral character, not your wealth, not your status, not your resources. The good life is not a life of wealth and luxury, but it is experienced when you let go and you trust God. And boy, do we need to do that more than ever in this age of the coronavirus pandemic. Today, we're going to look in Mark chapter 10 at the upside down nature of God's power in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is so differently organized from any corporation, any government, any hierarchical structure, any social network. It is truly countercultural. But before we get into the Gospel of Mark, I do want to mention a few items. Hunter has talked about them prior to this, but I want to reiterate them because I know maybe you tuned in a little late to this live stream and didn't catch all the announcements. So in a time like this, when we need to remain physically distant from each other, we need to be connected more than ever. And so right now, Hunter and I have been hosting Zoom video calls or huddles for our family at Thrive and for anyone else who wants to know what's going on, who wants and has a need for community, for prayer and support. So we have currently scheduled five times during the week when we'll have a Zoom call, Monday at 7, Tuesday at noon, Tuesday at 7, Thursday at 7, and Saturdays at 9. Now, if any of those times do not work for you, let us know, and we um, can try to fit another one in. And also, I encourage you to consider being a host of a Zoom call. Um, actually, zoom.us, it's a free service if you limit your calls to 40 minutes of video conferencing or less. Um, the link is found in the Bible app that you have for this service as well as we're going through the Upside Down Kingdom. Now, secondly, like we are doing Facebook live streaming right now, we'll continue to do that every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as long as we need to. We actually have been live streaming uh, for quite a long time. So even after we're able to gather face to face again, the live stream is there for anyone who is not physically located here in southwest Florida or cannot make it to worship for whatever reason. We still would love for you to join us. Also, a second live streaming event is occurring Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., here at Thrive, and uh, what we will be going through is the book of Philippians during this time as we are in um, a social distancing time. Now, 
why, why are we choosing the book of Philippians? Well, I, Paul, when he wrote it, he was actually in confinement, in prison, by the way, and he wrote it under a lot of duress and stress and difficulty, and yet the book is filled with joy and hope and a great gospel message for just such a time as this. In fact, I can't think of a better book in the New Testament to go through as a community right now than Philippians during this time. One of our brothers or sisters from the CMG community, this is a community of church um, management people who work in audio tech like Wyatt does here, uh, put together a video on Philippians 4, verse 6, a very appropriate verse for this time and age. And I want to show you that video right now and how we're going to enter into the book of Philippians. So that will be Philippians on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. We'll have on the U version of the Bible app a little study guide for everyone to take notes as well. So that's kind of some of the ways that we're trying to stay connected. But wait, there's more. <laughs> this week on Tuesday from 10 a.m. to 12 noon, we will be here at Thrive, just a couple of us, to uh, have a Thrive drive-by where you can um, bring in the trunk of your car some groceries, some non-perishable uh, food uh, for the local food bank. And we will collect it here by the back door here at Thrive. We have that little drive-through, you know. It would be a great place to just come uh, and drop it off. You don't get out of your car. You don't roll down your window or anything. We'll just wave to you. You open your trunk. We pick up the groceries. We thank you. And we will get that food to the Interfaith Food Bank. During these days of such as COVID-19 and the, the shutdown of many institutions, both blood banks and food banks are going to be hurting in the weeks ahead. And finally, hey, let us know if uh, you or anyone is in need of any type. We have members of our church who have come forward and volunteered to phone, to have a Zoom uh, conference with you, to have a FaceTime conference with you, to pray with you, to just listen and support and care for you in a time when we have to be social distancing. We also uh, want you to know that there are people who are willing to deliver groceries or medical supplies or anything that you need if you are either sick or in one of those vulnerable populations and you don't want to go out, we can bring things to your door and help you out. Please, 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 let's stay connected and let's be the family of God during this time. Okay, we're going to pray right now and then get into um, our text. Pray with me. Lord God, um, how upside down and inside out everything seems to be right now in our lives. We're not sure uh, what the future holds, but we know you are our future and your kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. We thank you for that, Lord. Teach us today. Soften our hearts. Open us up to you. We pray for the Christians across Southwest Florida right now that you would rain down on them your peace 
and your strength, that they would trust you instead of themselves and their own wits, that we would be wise in the way that we interact with others, that we would glorify you in everything that we do. We pray, O oh Lord, for all the churches in Southwest Florida. We pray, Lord, that right now in this time that you would financially uh, provide for them, that you would give to them in any need, um, and that you would um, grow your kingdom through this time, that we would come through this stronger because we're trusting in you more, that we would come through this, Lord, refined and renewed and closer to you and closer to each other. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 10 today, verses 13 to 16. And you can follow along. I think the, uh, it will come up on the screen just momentarily. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For such is the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So from this passage today, we're going to learn three different points about the upside down nature of power in God's kingdom. These are the points. Number one, what ticks Jesus off? Number two, what makes Jesus tick? And number three, how upside down power actually works. So what does tick Jesus off? Now, I don't know if you saw that word. I kind of emphasized it a little in this lesson, but the word indignant comes up. It's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus is said to be indignant. The word actually can mean being in pain, to be angry, or to be vexed. I love that word vexed, you know. Ugh. Jesus was ticked off. He couldn't believe what the disciples were doing. And why? Because they were using their position and their power to distance, to push, to rebuke the parents who were bringing children to Jesus, and he would have none of it. Though this is the only time Jesus is indignant in all of the Gospels, the word, that, that Greek word is used at a number of occasions for others who become, quote, indignant or ticked. For example, James and John, later on in the Gospel of Mark, they come up to Jesus and ask for the number one and number two spot alongside of Jesus in his kingdom. And it says then, the text, the disciples were indignant, ticked off because they wanted those spots. Or when Jesus um, healed a man on the Sabbath, in a synagogue, the synagogue leader, it says, became indignant. Why? Well, because he healed on, he broke the rules, he broke protocol, he did his own, and the synagogue rule didn't like that disorder that that caused. When Mary brought in an expensive perfume, cost like a year's wages, and broke it over Jesus' feet and anointed him just before his entry into Jerusalem and his death on the cross. It says the disciples, Jesus' own disciples, were indignant with her because they thought it was a total waste to spend all that money on Jesus. Hmm. And finally, when Jesus did enter into 
um, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The little children, it says, cried out singing praises to God, Hosanna, and they were honoring and blessing Jesus as the son of David. And it says that the high priests and the scribes of the temple were indignant because Jesus was getting honor that they wanted. What you find out in your life is what ticks you off is often about things that you value or prize or you place on a pedestal. And for the disciples, they got ticked off because they wanted power and prestige and status. For the synagogue ruler, he got ticked off because he wanted tradition and order and predictability and things to be the way they were and him to be in charge. For the scribes and the chief priests, it was their position and their authority, and they were indignant because Jesus was getting honor they wanted. Jesus will have nothing to do with any of those things. Here in our text, he gets ticked off when the least, little children, very young children, even infants, because he put them in his arms, when they were being kept from him. Now, I stated a couple of weeks ago that children in this time and culture, they were uh, considered gifts from God, but they weren't valued for being children. They were valued for what they would become someday, that this person will be the head of the house. This person will be a nurturer and a giver. And, you know, it wasn't for who they were at the time. But Jesus values the children for being the absolute model of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. This is the only way to enter. These children were valuable, not because of anything they could do, but because they were his. Jesus gets ticked off when his followers use position or power to keep people of any age, especially the young or the needy or the weak or the seemingly insignificant away from him. I read this week in, uh, uh, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor during World War II in Germany who resisted the Nazis and ended up in prison. But prior to that, he preached and proclaimed even in resistance to the Nazis and to the powers that be who are really getting in the way of the gospel and its work. And um, he said in one of his sermons this, Christianity stands or falls with its revolutionary protest against violence, arbitrariness, and pride of power, and with its plea for the weak. Christians are doing too little to make these points clear rather than too much. Christendom adjusts itself far too easily to the worship of power. Christians should give more offense, shock the world far more than they are doing now. Christians should take a stronger stand in favor of the weak rather than considering first the possible right of the strong. That also makes me question myself. Am I like the disciples trying to push people away from Jesus in any way? Am I ticking Jesus off? Do I dismiss those who seem to be of, quote, insignificance? Am I giving deference instead to those who have power or prestige or wealth or status? Is Christianity in the United States worshiping power a bit too much rather than the God who became powerless for our sake? It's all a good way to tick Jesus off. But what now, point two, 
makes Jesus tick. I think it comes up in this last sentence on this incident, Mark chapter 10, verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, what's so amazing is he didn't keep kids at it. He brought them as close as he could to himself. He embraces them. He blesses them. He lays his hands on them. What makes Jesus tick is his so desire to draw anyone, everyone, you, so close to him, no one could become closer. To lift you up in his arms, to carry you, to love you. You know, if you walk through the stories, through the scriptures, and you notice how Jesus draws near or touches or comes close to people, you see what makes him tick by the types of people and the incidences where this happens. You know, there was a leper in one of the stories who comes up to Jesus, won't really approach him because he knows leprosy makes him untouchable, and he says, Lord, heal me. And Jesus said, I am willing to heal you. But then Jesus doesn't just speak from a day. He comes up and he touches the leper. He makes us, he didn't need to. He could have healed from a distance away. He did that on other occasions, but in this one, he had to touch him. He had to touch him to make the point. When others distanced themselves from tax collectors and others, they considered traitors to the people of God, Jesus invites himself over and demands to come over to a chief tax collector's house, Zacchaeus, and not only come into the house, but to stay overnight in the house. That's what the text is insinuating. When a woman with a bleeding disorder who's been untouchable because of that, according to the laws of the Old Testament for 12 years, is in a crowd With Jesus, she comes up to Jesus and just tries to touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus notices it right away that she's drawn close, turns around, and he speaks to her words of freedom and grace. Your faith has saved you. And when Jesus is dining at a Pharisee's house, the Pharisee becomes indignant and shocked when a woman of ill repute comes into that house and she comes over to Jesus and starts to anoint him and she starts crying and falling at his feet and wiping his feet with her hair and Jesus defends her, accepts her devotion and turns and accuses the Pharisee of the lack of hospitality. What makes Jesus tick in all these instances, drawing someone close to him, whether it's a child or a leper or someone who is um, an outsider or uh, morally susceptible. Now, I've not been sleeping well this week, and I'm sure a lot of us haven't. We're thinking so many thoughts. I'm not saying it's a good thing that I'm not sleeping. I need Philippians 4, 6 more than ever before to cast my anxiety on God, to and, and, um, but in the middle of one of those nights, I was thinking about a social post I want to put out for Thrive. And in it, um, I think it summarizes up some of these points that Jesus is making in this text. And it starts out just with this phrase, you don't have to be. Okay? And you can think of all the categories of what you don't have to be 
to be drawn close to Jesus. And this is it. You don't have to be conservative or liberal, woke or with it, rich or poor, in the majority or in the minority, progressive or traditional, powerful or weak, wise or foolish, rich or poor, a citizen or undocumented, sexually pure or experienced, religious or secular, spiritually or scientifically minded, knowledgeable or uneducated, or any race or another, to belong, to thrive. Now, some of those things I mentioned might tick you off. You better think twice, because this is what makes Jesus tick. Now, this is how upside-down power works. Because to draw people close, to draw these children close to Jesus, it cost him a high price. It wasn't just a simple idea or modeling it for us. It would cost Jesus his very life to draw us close. There was a price to pay. He would lose it all. And at the cross, we see what power does. It kills. And what powerlessness and the vulnerability of love does, it heals and forgives. Jesus, for him to draw you close, would face separation in your place. To empower us, he would lose his power. At the cross, we see God in utter, total weakness in the person of Jesus Christ. God opening up and laying bare his heart for the world to see, and Jesus pouring out his very life and losing everything for us. It looks like a defeat because it was. It looked bad because it is. It was shameful. It was humiliating. It was the end. But through that end, through that death, God makes a new beginning for you and me. And that's why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth who worshipped power, who worshipped their own knowledge and wisdom and their position and status and struggled with all these things. And he wrote to them in the first chapter of his first letter about all of this. And this is what he said. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And Jesus said here, absolutely no one gets into the kingdom based on your strength, your wisdom, your status, your power, no one. You can only enter, you only enter as a little child, helpless and needy and vulnerable. Now, there are a lot of people who look at the cross of Jesus Christ and go like, wow, he was a great example of what sacrificial love looks like. But that's not the main point of the cross. It's not the main point of his life. He's not just a moral teacher. He doesn't just show us how we should act towards one another. Those things happen. But much more is going on there. Suppose right now that I was walking with you and a few others at the beach on the Gulf here in southwest Florida. I know we can't do that. It's illegal right now. But just imagine it for a moment. And there I am talking to you in a group, socially distancing, but talking in a group, and (laughs) no more than 10 people, people, um, but uh, talking in a group, but at the same time um, saying, hey, you know, 
y'all, I love you so much. I'm going to show you how much I love you. And I rush into the Gulf waters and sacrifice my life and drown myself. What would that have proven? Absolutely nothing. You might have said, that's stupid. Because you were not in a position of need. You were, quote, fine at the time. That is not what Jesus does. And that is not what Jesus does because we are not fine. We are what he sees, drowning in the Gulf waters as little children. And we think that we're going to make it somehow on our own. We're going to make it. But no, he foolishly rushes in to save us. Loses his life to give you life. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, um, I heard this story this week. I thought it was fascinating. I forgot all about it because it was so back in the 80s. It was 1982. Now, if you ever go to Washington, D.C., and you're driving your car, you might drive over a bridge on the Potomac River now and with a placard on it called the Arlen D. Williams Bridge. He was not a politician. He was not a powerful person. He was nobody of any repute except for one day at one time in 1982, Arlen D. Williams was a passenger on Air Florida Flight 90 that upon takeoff from the airport in D.C., crash landed in the icy waters of the Potomac River on January 13th. About 74 people died in that crash, but there were six, including Arlen, who had survived the initial crash. The airplane was sinking. And it looked like no one could save anyone in that plane. The waters were icy cold and with little icebergs all over the place. But then a helicopter from the park police arrived to assist, to try to do something. And they were hovering over the Potomac River and they let down these ropes these safety ropes, these lifelines to the plane, and Arlen D. Williams was there at the door. He grabbed the rope and gave it to another person. They threw it down again, grabbed the rope, and he gave it to another. For five times, the ropes went down, and he gave them to everyone else still alive at the back of the plane. The helicopter dropped the rope the sixth time, but the plane sunk into the icy waters of the Potomac. Now, what Arlen D. Williams did that day is a metaphor, is an example. It moves me. I hope it moves you, because what he did that day actually did save the life of those five people. And without him sacrificing himself and giving it to others, they would not be alive. When Jesus goes to the cross, he's not showing you love. He is loving you and doing love and giving you his very life as a substitute. But to receive it, Jesus says, you have to be a little child, powerless, weak, if you think you can try to save yourself, you'll never get in. If you try to negotiate, you'll never get in. Give it up. Isn't it amazing? Right now, this little, small, microscopic virus, a thing that cannot be seen by the human eye, and that cannot actually exist without a living host for any length of time, yes, two, three, four days, maybe on a hard surface, but then it dies that this little 
tiny microscopic virus that has no intelligence of its own. The only thing it has is an intention to reproduce. That that small thing has been able to bring the entire world to its knees. Maybe that's where we needed to be all along. To realize how helpless and vulnerable we are. Maybe it's time for you to be like a little child, to give up, to let go and let God, to receive the kingdom with open arms, to let Jesus just wrap you around. For such is the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. That's the way power works, how Jesus gives it away for your sake. Would you please pray with me? And hopefully we'll receive some uh, prayer requests. Now I think I've got those. And I'll incorporate those in um, our prayer as well. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you with nothing on our own. We're like little toddlers who can hardly stand. In fact, we're helpless without you. Our world right now feels it's in that position. We pray, Lord, that you would make this a time that we understand your kingdom even more, that more people enter in, and that we live in the joy and the hope and the peace that comes, that you and your kingdom is the only everlasting kingdom, and your dominion will last for all generations. We pray that, that you would be doing that right now. We lift up to you the needs of this community. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us through um, our interactions in whatever way that we can do, that you would also use Thrive and your Christians across Southwest Florida right now to serve others in their need, that you would move our hearts, that we'd break down the barriers, that we would stop uh, worshiping power or prestige or money or wealth or any of those things, but start using all of those things in your kingdom for your glory and for your sake, that we would get ticked off like you did when we see people pushed away from you for whatever reason, and that our hearts would tick the way yours do, do, has done and will do and always is, that reaches out in love for all, especially those in need. Lord, we lift up to you our needs right now for Jeff as he is going through cancer. We pray for the Grisky family and for Jeff specifically that you would be working through that. We pray right now um, for um, the Griskies as Mike's brother um, passed away. And we know that the funeral might be impossible to go to at this time. We pray for your comfort and peace for Mike, for Dick, for everyone in the family. Let their hope be in you, Lord God. We pray uh, for Haiti and for the mission Haiti, for Lafon, for Maxime, and for others that we work with there. They have just gotten their first two cases of the COVID-19 virus, Lord God, and oh my goodness, you know the healthcare there and you know the, the conditions and how it's impossible to socially distance in so many ways. We pray, Lord God, you'd have mercy, that you'd have mercy on them and that you'd raise up your church, that you, uh, that you would have your church grow through this time and be a minister of mercy in those situations. We pray, Lord God, for the American troops that we're trying to get home right now, that you protect them on their flights, that you protect them wherever they happen to be. 
We uh, pray also for Jim House, who was to undergo, Lord God, angioplasty to get a stent or two in his arteries around his heart. And we know that that's just been delayed right now. We pray that you protect him and wrap him with your holy angels for this time period and that you provide the right opportunity in the future for this procedure to be done. We pray for Bill Steggers as he travels home on April 1st. We pray, Lord, that you protect him, that when he goes home, he can uh, be blessed by his home church there, that they um, are ministering to that community, that you would use him mightily in New York during that time. And, and New York right now, one of the hot uh, spots in the United States for this Lord God. So we pray that as he goes in a sense to the front lines, that you would use him for your kingdom's sake, protect him and his family. Uh, we thank you for the time that he had here. All of these things, Lord, we lift to you this day, confident that you hear us. And now we ask the blessing that you gave Aaron to bless the people with, that you would bless us all right now as well. That may you bless us and keep us. May you make your face, may your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May you lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. We pray all this in the powerful, sacrificial, loving name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being here for our live worship today. Sorry about the glitch. We'll work on that in the future. Thanks for hanging in there, family of Thrive. Um, stay connected. Hope to have a number of you drive through Tuesday to drop off some goods. We hope to have you in one of the home huddles by Zoom this week and to be back here with you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on Facebook Live. God's peace. Have a great day.